Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. Well, may, many of you may be wondering, why is Anderson preaching on this thing again? This text, the story of the woman caught in adultery, is frankly one of my favorite. This, <laughs> don't laugh. <laughs> this text, um, this, is the, this is the gospel in an actual incident. Just like the parable of the prodigal son is the gospel in a parable. But this particular incident was inserted here. Uh, this, was a, this was a passage that was floating around in the early church, and it didn't even get inserted into the scriptures probably until the second century. The oldest manuscripts that we have, going back some scraps of the first century, and and then most of them into the second century, most of the, the reliable manuscripts don't include this passage. And it's believed because of the fear as the church was moving into the, the Roman world that, that it would look like the church was, was soft on, on sin. But this story is so Jesus. This is a story that is so quintessentially Christ that you, you can't make this up. And so the early church fathers in their great wisdom incorporated this story and this event for the edification of the centuries. Hear the word of God as it comes to us from the Gospel of John. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who'd been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teachers, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. God add his understanding to this hearing of his word. Why do people do this? Not the woman, we understand that. The guys. Why do they do this? What is it about us that we 
nurture a sense of self-righteousness to the extent that we would victimize another. This story is so contemporary. And one has to wonder, why do we, why do, we do this? Where does this accusatory spirit come from? And, you know, Paul Tournier, one of the great Christian psychologists, says, awareness of sin is awareness of God. Those who consider themselves so righteous have perhaps lost a sense, not only of their own sin, but they are replacing God with themselves, putting themselves in a, pl in a place and a position where they consider themselves worthy to pass judgment on other people. And the blindness that sets in is daunting. So they bring this woman. The whole story, the whole thing looks fishy from the beginning. Where's the guy? And she is brought, and as was the case, this, this poor woman, they would make her drape her robe off, and she would come covering her bare breasts before this crowd standing, humiliated, ashamed, scared. And, and these, these religious men would use her as a tool to try to, to try to catch Jesus at something. They wanted to hang him on the horns of a dilemma. On the one hand, Moses said to stone such a woman as this. Of course, he also said to stone the man. Not that they ever did. There's no record ever in the Old Testament of anyone ever being stoned for this. But that's what the law said. Leviticus. On the one hand, Moses said this. On the other hand, Rome says you can't do this. You can't take a human life. Rome maintains the authority to do that. So, what do you say, Jesus? And so if Jesus says... Stoner, he's in violation of Rome. If he says, don't stoner, then he's in violation of Moses. So they thought they had him. And so Jesus sees all of this. These who brought accusation. These who had the, the temerity, the audacity to rip this woman from her morning bed drag her in front of people exposed as she was and to use her to try to get at Jesus. And they considered themselves righteous. They were the ones who were going to be the enforcers of right and wrong. They were the ones who were going to make sure that Nobody did anything wrong on a Sabbath. They're going to be the ones to make sure that all of the jots and tittles of the law were, were adhered to. 
They were the ones who, because of their policing activity of the lives of others, lost sight and lost touch with their own lives and their own brokenness, their own humanity, and their own frailty. And they put themselves in God's place, decided that they would be the judge. It's really quite a story. So here is this woman and those people that Jesus has been teaching and these religious authorities. And now everyone's looking at Jesus. What's he going to do? He does nothing. He says nothing. Instead, Jesus gets down on a knee and he starts writing in the dust. And we don't know what he writes, but, and of course the church has speculated for 2,000 years what he wrote. But he starts writing in the dust. And in so doing, all of the attention is shifted. It's shifted off of that woman. Now they're looking at Jesus. And he writes in the dust. Like my favorite speculation as to what he wrote was that he saw that man, George, or Bill, or Harry, or Fred, wrote the name and wrote the sin. Saw that man, Isaac, Harold, Paul. John wrote the name, wrote the sin. It's just speculation. It would work in Hollywood. <laughs> but he wrote. But the focus, the point is the focus is on him. The woman is now invisible. As if the woman mattered to begin with. As if the woman was a factor at all. The woman was a means to an end. And she was considered irrelevant from the very beginning. And Jesus then straightens himself up. And as he does so, and he says, let you who are without sin be the first to throw the stone. How he locates himself is critical. So if the woman is here, and Jesus is next to her, and he's been on the ground with her standing directly next to him. And he stands up next to her. Imagine if Jesus had stepped away from her and is now standing with all of the righteous ones. And then says, let you who are without sin be the first to throw the stone. If he had located himself with them, there might be a different response. But Jesus, located as he was with the woman, elicits a response that was unexpected. All is silent. Jesus, back down on his knee, starts writing again. And as he does, he's looking at the dust. And one after another, he hears the thud of those rocks as one after another they drop and crack 
and they start to leave. Beginning with the oldest, because the oldest have been around longer, so they've sinned more. They also have perhaps the humility to recognize I was wrong. I should have been doing this. Jesus is right. I was wrong. One after another they leave. The, the Lord then straightens himself up with this dear woman. We don't know this part of the story, but I believe that Jesus came to her and reclothed her. Just as God in the garden gave clothing to Adam and Eve, that he reclothed her and asked her to her face, does no one condemn you? And she said, of course, no one, sir. And he said, neither do I. Jesus doesn't condemn. Jesus doesn't condemn. The Apostle Paul in the 8th chapter of Romans says, who will, uh, who will condemn? Christ? Who died for us? He rose for us? Who reigns in power for us? He who did not consider himself anything but our servant, would he condemn us? No. Not even Christ would condemn. For we are all conquerors through him who loved us. So he doesn't condemn. And so he gives her the simple instruction to go and sin no more. To live a new way. To live having been made new. And I believe that when she left, as she started to walk away, that a smile came across her face. Not because she got away with something, but because she had a future. She had a sense of, of self that she didn't have before. She was a woman that was used, and now she was a woman who had been treated with dignity and, and grace and mercy. And I believe that she left with a sense that I am made new. I'm on now the board at St. Matthew's house and I, I love the stories that I hear one after another. And we have some of these people in our church, are related to our church. And one of our dear uh, uh, people who's related to our church is Julie Becker's son, Blake. This is a great guy. I, I married him off, and, and he and his wife are, are happy pregnant now, and they're working hard. They're great members of our community, and he's such a warm, loving person. Well, I've been online. He told me to do this. I saw his mugshot from about 10 years ago. And the countenance on his face as one who was arrested Versus the countenance on his face, although I've not seen this, I can imagine, but I, I saw him when he married Kristen. I can imagine when he's kissing her belly with that little baby growing inside of her. The countenance of being made new, 
of being forgiven, of leaving that past behind and, and living in a new way, knowing that he is forgiven. That's what I think this woman walked away with, a newness, a joy. And it's not that she never sinned again. None of us do that. We we'd like to not sin, but we still do. And the countenance of those who walked away, having, having dropped their stones, having been willing to pass judgment, I think their countenance was down as they began to think, as they began to examine their own hearts. And God willing began to ask themselves, who was I to do this? What was I thinking? I had a, a, a powerful experience, both from high school and then during my ministry. There was a there was a girl at our high school. I was involved in young life, and part of being involved in young life was, was being taught about human sexuality and, and maintaining one's purity and all of that. And I looked at it as, you know, real men control their bodies and real men kind of athletically, I, you know, you, you train yourself to, to do the right thing. And so I was, all, I was a part of that crowd. And I, I remember being part of that crowd at, at, in high school I remember some of that, that self-righteousness sort of bubbling up within me, almost a pride. And, um, and then there was this girl, a beautiful girl that some people were talking about. And I never knew, but you know how gossip is. When people gossip, when people say things about other people, especially if it's of that nature, oh, we tend to believe it immediately. We don't, we don't wait for uh, real evidence. You know, it's convicted. There's no jury trial. There's no nothing else. We just, we just believe the gossip. And I did. To my shame. And I, I don't know the truth. I just know what was said. And I bought into that whole thing. Well, there's smoke, there's fire. Well, maybe, maybe not. Maybe it's just a bunch of prant boys who wished some things and talked that way. Who knows? Then I was pastoring the church in California. And at one point went back to Riverside where I grew up and and I uh, was going to go to a Mexican food restaurant with my brother, one that we used to go to when we were kids. And, and I was early, and so I, I was just driving around the city doing that, you know, the return home tour that we do. And I, I drove by a park, and I saw her in the park, maybe about 30 yards away from the road. And there she was with two of the most beautiful children and another mom and her children, beautiful little ones. And they're playing on the swings and the slides and everything else. 
And I thought, what was I thinking? Who was I to hold her in reproach? Even as a high school kid, even as a dumb kid, who was I to hold her in reproach? And I pulled in, got out of the car, went to see her, greeted her again after about 18 years and gave her a hug, told her I was so glad to see her. She introduced me to her friend and I was glad to meet her and then I was back in the car and off to Gay and Larry's restaurant. And I came away thinking, again, who am I? Who was I to be viewing another with such eyes when I don't know? But what I do know is that by that time, I had managed to garner a few of my own sexual sins. I had managed to foul my own purity. And despite my athletic efforts at self-control, there had been times when I had failed. And I was able to see her in a new way. And I was able to see life in a new way. And I was so glad for that encounter where I was able to reconnect and extend grace and mercy. Because in, in so doing, I extended that same grace and mercy to myself for my own brokenness, for my own sinfulness. And so I'm glad that God broke that in me, taught me better how to be a pastor. And what we see in Jesus and what we ought to see in one another is this woman with her sin, whatever the sin may be, could come to him and receive the mercy and the grace that was due to her only because of the grace and mercy of God that is exhibited in Christ. That we can be safe with one another, that we can embody that grace and that mercy with one another, and that we can be caring and loving and receiving and not take God's place in passing judgment. Will you bow with me in prayer? Oh Lord Jesus, we thank you that though you were 100% God, you were also 100% man and so you understand our condition. You are aware and, and an understanding of our weaknesses. And though you are worthy to judge us, to condemn us, you take that condemnation upon yourself. And we thank you and we praise you and we ask, O oh Lord, that that grace and mercy might fill our hearts and lives. We pray in your precious name. Amen. <clears throat>
If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.